Welcome to the Legitimate Interests Podcast, where we talk all things data privacy and compliance. Here's your host, privacy lawyer and head of legal at Catch, Robert Cunningham. Hello, everyone. My name is Robert Cunningham, and I am the head of legal at Catch. And Catch is a privacy and data governance platform. And we have been wanting for some time to start a podcast. Our goal is to host an informal but informative conversation about privacy. And I intend to define privacy very broadly. So think privacy and security and governance and compliance and regulation and whatever else springs to your mind as a listener or our minds as folks who want to talk about these issues. So we intend to cast our net relatively broadly. And most importantly, we hope to have uh, some good guests, good conversationalists and experts in the field and practitioners with experience join me in these conversations. Ideally people who have infinitely more experience and wisdom and interesting things to say than I do, which shouldn't be too difficult to find. So we're getting off to an excellent start on that front with uh, my friend and someone I've worked with professionally for a number of years now, Alan Chappelle. And uh, Alan is uh, outside counsel and effectively the chief privacy officer to a number of premium ad tech and martech companies. He also happens to be a talented musician, which we could uh, add as one of our topics as we have this conversation. So, Alan, welcome and thanks for joining us. Well, thanks so much, Robert. It's an honor to be your first guest. Without too much more um, introduction, let's get started. I'll, I'll describe some of the topics that Alan and I are going to bandy about today. And there may be a, a bit of an ad tech focus, um, ad tech and martech focus, not just because that's uh, relevant to our expertise, but I do think it's a huge part of the current focus in, in the privacy space. And so that, that's not so much intentional as, as driven by a certain amount of reality and demand. But you be the judge of that uh, as the listeners. First off, we're going to talk about consent, continuing the theme of very broad topics. We're going we're to talk about consent. I hope we do so in a way that's a little bit fresh and, and challenging. That'll be our first area of inquiry. Then we're going to talk a little bit more broadly about uh, the future of ad tech, maybe the near future of ad tech is a good way to put it. And Alan recently wrote a good article, a good piece on this. And so he'll have some interesting things to say about that. And then I want to talk about, if we get there with your patience, enforcement. Again, a broad topic, but there are some things I've been thinking about, and I would love to hear Alan's perspective on enforcement. You may be wondering, enforcement of what, where? We hope to make all of that clear to you, and we intend to as we move along. So let's talk about consent. I would venture to say that to the novice or to even, to even an informed practitioner, they throw the word consent around as though it really does encapsulate this whole space of privacy. And I say that because I don't think that's necessarily wrong. And Alan, I've heard you say some things like consent is swallowing the world. And I don't disagree with you. And I want to learn more about about why you say that and what you think the implications of that are. Just to set the stage for everybody, maybe as a reminder, the GDPR is the is the 900 pound, what is it, gorilla, gorilla, elephant, elephant in the room, gorilla in this space. And GDPR has six legal bases. Consent's just the first one, but it seems to be the one that everyone talks about. 
you know, there, there was a time when disclosure and transparency were an important part of the conversation. Uh, even the, the CPRA that's coming up in California continues to be an, generally, mostly an opt-out. And yet, and yet we spend so much time talking about consent, in particular opt-in consent, and whether or not it is becoming the be-all and end-all of privacy. So, Alan, give me your thoughts on that. Consent swallowing the world, is that a good thing? Why do we care? Am I right that it really is the, the overarching topic of the day? Yeah, so I, I, I've been pretty critical of the use and perhaps the overuse of consent in privacy circles. I've kind of characterized it as fool's gold. It looks really good. Uh, in theory, uh, it's helpful because, okay, you're going to ask the consumer's consent. That's the, you know, that trumps everything, forgive the pun. Um, and, and, and in fairness to the GDPR, you know, they go so far beyond just a notice of consent framework. And I think there's a lot to be said for that. But I also think that, that, uh, you know, the European mindset has an over-reliance on consent. And, and I think that has some, some, um, you know, negative repercussions. Because for one thing, and I, I'm somebody who tends to represent companies who are uh, who don't have direct consumer relationships, but I think that an over reliance on consent basically allows companies to do whatever in the heck they want, so long as they have a product or service that is valuable enough for consumers, so that consumers have effectively no other choice but to agree. And you're starting to see that more and more with some of the large internet platforms where they're making all kinds of wholesale changes uh, uh, that consumers may agree with, may like, may not. But, you know, when you don't have a real choice or an alternative option, uh, the consent isn't really freely given. Now, in fairness to, to again, to the GDPR and, and European regulators, they do specify that consent should be freely given, um, but I, I don't know that they've fully uh, been able to reconcile that with with the reality that there are entities that are just going to ask for permission for just about anything, and uh, you know I, most of them are smart enough not to say, "Well, <laughs> just turn off our service if you don't like it." Um, but but implicitly, that's where you end up. Yeah, and that's a good point about, uh, I presume you're making a reference there, and I will take you to be making a reference to uh, the paywalls or the cookie walls or what's sometimes referred to as, you know, discrimination in services. Can you, can you require consent in order to offer or give access to your full suite of services? And even in Europe, the countries differ, and you'd have to be a professional in the space to keep track of which countries are allowing what on a particular day. I, I think Spain just changed their position in the past couple of months. I well, like I, your... I think yeah, the, go ahead. the French court, the fr French Supreme Court overruled the Keneal when it comes to uh, cookie walls. And so it's certainly, with respect to cookie walls, um, it is a, uh, you know, I, I think that the jury is still out regarding, you know, whether that's ultimately freely given. Um, but even that debate, you know, sort of misses the the element of, you know, publishers need to make money. Consumers don't want to pay. Now, there are some exceptions. Certainly, the New York Times has built a great subscription model. Uh, but that isn't really available 
to tier two, tier three, tier four content providers. Advertising is probably the only way they're going to be able to subsidize. And so um, I'm not here to say what's the right answer, but but I do think that that when talking about consent, you need to kind of be thinking about it from uh, a number of different angles. You raise, if I understand you correctly or draw the right conclusions, I think you raise an interesting point that consent as I read the regulations in various jurisdictions is both the most powerful legal basis. And again, I don't want to confine our conversation as though we are, are parroting back just the actual provisions of GDPR. The idea of a legal basis, the concept of consent is applicable more broadly than just to the European economic area, right? I think we can agree to that. But back to the point, you say, Consent is, is really the gold, the, the gold standard for the publisher or the brand or whoever wants to use the data. You, you, you take that golden ticket, you say, I've got consent, so I can go do whatever I need to do. Even if you have that explicit consent, which is a GDPR concept, you can engage in data transfers that may not be to adequate destinations and all sorts of things. But as you say, if consent becomes the only choice and the only avenue that's ever presented to consumers, we know that, and we know this as our own, in our own lives moving around the internet, if we're in such a hurry to consume the content and use the surface, and we willy-nilly give up our consent, that you find yourself in this catch-22 of the most, the most powerful and invasive and, uh, and useful and opportunistic rights that you can give to the publisher are the ones, in a sense, that are the easiest and most freely given and the easiest to to. They have become the ones that are most most typically uh, transacted when you arrive at a website, right? You have probably seen, what am I saying? I'm saying that when you go to a website, you get asked for your consent and you give it because you want to read the article or you want to use your your email or you want to download the game, whatever it is. And then the, the company is off and running with your data. And rightfully so, because the deal was if they have their consent, they can go do what they want to do. Now, what, what's a different way that this could happen? What, what else could be done? What's an alternative? So the, the IAB-TCF framework, which you and I know are familiar with for those who are listening, this is, a, this is an ad tech-based standard that the IAB, which is an industry, an advertising industry group in Europe has articulated, a transparency and consent framework, which is meant to be a standard by which publishers and vendors in the ad tech space can collect and transmit consents through the ad tech ecosystem. The second version of this standard, one of the major improvements, at least purported improvements, was to better use and deal with legitimate interest as a legal basis in the ad tech and martech space. I don't know if that was actually an improvement. I would encourage folks out there listening to go to a couple of websites that, that use the TCF framework, and you will be presented with, Alan, what I take to be a relatively tedious and intimidating and dense experience of text to read and choices to make and questions like XYZ vendor wants to process your data based on legitimate interest. Do you or do you not object to legitimate interest? All I'm saying or all I'm proposing is that this is not a very good consumer experience. It's not a very good user experience. And it may not be a very good 
whatever in the world a privacy experience is, I'm not sure it's a very good privacy experience either. So I'm questioning whether there are alternatives or whether this is a, an, an unfortunate un, unintended consequence of these regulations. Yeah, I, I think that, you know, one of the byproducts of, of what is an over-reliance on consent is now every single website I visit, just about anywhere, U.S., worldwide, uh, there's a slider box that appears. And, you know, you get really good really quickly at not looking at it and just sort of clicking it away because at the time you're focused on getting to the content that you want to get to, whether it's work or the, your favorite sports team or, or whatever it is. And that, um, so it's hard to make an argument that that's really improving privacy. Um, and, and to credit the Europeans, this is only one component of the GDPR and there are things like, you know, purpose limitation and retention periods and, you know, all these privacy by design concepts where, uh, in my view, those things are probably going to be more effective towards, uh, you know, creating something that is reasonable, something that uh, is somewhat protective and, and one that measures, you know, the level of sensitivity of the data being collected uh, as part of the, the privacy or data protection program that one is, you know, trying to create. I think that's an excellent point, Alan, and I haven't thought about it that way, maybe ever. <laughs> and so I'm so glad you're here to talk about it with us. The, those, what, what do we call them? Those, um, principles, I think, right? Those principles within the GDPR, um, which have been carried over, if not into CCPA in California, they are much more palpable in CPRA, and they are almost wholesale in LGPD in Brazil. Those principles, as you say, are, are lording over this transactional moment that we experience uh, when we go and visit a website. They're lording over it, or rather they are, they are always operative in the background, that no matter what the consumer is saying or intending or misunderstanding, data minimization should be a principle that the that the data controller abides by. Data retention obligations and limitations should be principles they abide by. The inability to process the data for a different purpose than that which it was collected under. So I like, I, I asked you for, for alternatives or other ways to look at it and you offered up a very good one, which is that consent is not, in my mind now rethinking it with your advice, consent is not as determinative and as powerful as one might fear because there are principles that must be abided by regardless. Yeah, and uh, you know, I tend to think that uh, if you're gonna evaluate what a consumer needs to know, or you're gonna evaluate what requirements one imposes on companies, I think the latter is probably the better way to go. I mean, consumers, uh, in general, a large swath of consumers just don't care enough about these issues. Now, we can have a debate whether that's right or wrong, but but I, I think it's the reality. And so what, what I'd really like to see a little bit more focus on is the scale of data being collected. Now, in the U.S., implicitly, we do that for telcos. Uh, and, and but they do it for different reasons. But we but we landed in a place where this where net net the size of data collected by telcos uh, uh, tells us that well maybe we need to think about uh, a little bit more deeply about you know uh, how these companies are operating, what data they're really collecting, at least in certain contexts. Now now they have sort of 
the unfettered ability to use that data however they want to to monitor and to keep their networks working and for security purposes, et cetera. But when you're when you're talking about taking that data and using it for things like advertising, uh, you know, there we're much closer to a thou shalt not do it unless you have you know, X, Y, and Z. And some of that is consent, you know, for better or worse. But I, I'd like to see a lot more focus on that because because what, what you'll do then is incentivize companies to really adapt uh, data minimization. I, I think that, you know, uh, the ad tech companies who are going to be really successful over the next five to 10 years are the ones that are going to be able to do more with less. So if you can incrementally, you know, target ads, 50% better with 10% of the data, um, that really might be the sweet spot. Uh, uh, and, and, and that should be where I think some of the regulatory focus is because this concept that you might have a thousand different data points collected from you know 40 different platforms uh, all owned by the same entity, but consumers don't even necessarily know that they're all owned by the same entity. Um, I'm not sure that's really where you know, I, I, to me, that seems like that's the, the more significant uh, privacy harm. Yeah, that's a good point. But let's not take it as a given that these extraordinary volumes of data need to be collected and processed is, is one thing I take away from, from what you said. We do not need to take that as a law of the universe. It reminds me of an article I was just reading in the past couple of days your, your, your encouragement that we take a step back and think about this a little bit more broadly. This, is, this article was related to the antitrust suits that are being brought against Apple and Google for their app stores and what percentages, the, the ex, arguably extortionary percentages they take from these small app developers. And one of the arguments that was pointed out is that these app developers must rely on vacuuming up a lot of personal data and transacting in the ad tech ecosystem because they don't have a business model that can allow them to survive when they're paying such a high tax to the app stores just to be able to get their games out there to, to the public. And if they didn't have to pay those taxes, as it were, they might be able to embrace business models that didn't rely on the monetization of personal data. So I see some similarities in that argument. Yeah, and, and look, I, I don't want to beat up on Apple too much. I, I think that they need to charge something. And I think that because they're, they're maintaining this, uh, this platform, this marketplace, uh, and they're doing an effective job of regulating that marketplace so that it, it does work really, really well. And so they need to be compensated for that. But on some level, they've set themselves up as the, you know, <clears throat> the, the 21st century's ticket master. Where, you know, because there isn't really another game in town, certainly if you're an Apple user, you really only have one option. Um, you know, I, I do think that that alone uh, should place Apple under uh, a special set of circumstances. And, and the EU has started to address that. That is it the Digital Services Act. I know we're only in the, the first inning of that. But, but yeah. one, of the, one of the components of that is that, that uh, a platform would not be able to dictate how, uh, uh, how, how its apps get monetized. And you are anticipating uh, our third, well, I think it's our third topic where I, I 
think that we should talk a little bit about how competition law or antitrust is bleeding into some of these spaces as well. It, it may be a better idea to go there naturally now, but I'm not going to let us do that. I'm going okay. to turn to something else. But I think to, to wrap it a little bit on consent, unless you have more ideas to share, it sound, it, it, I am of the opinion that we have not arrived at, at the solutions and we have not arrived at a consumer experience, not by a long shot, actually, that will be satisfactory to, to the demands of, of consumers and data subjects. I think there's a ton of space to build a better experience for consumers, both at websites and in apps, that is still quite comfortably compliant with the requirements of the various laws. I think that, I don't think it is, there was a time where I thought this was the case. I no longer think it is the law, that the laws that are imposing these onerous and complicated experiences on consumers. I'm starting to think it's a lack of imagination and a lack of attention and a lack of maybe motivation to come up with a better way to solicit permission from consumers and make them comfortable with the experience they're having on a particular website. I know that sounds a little bit uh, philosophical and, and perhaps poetic or bad, badly poetic, but I do think there is space to do a better job with the consumer experience. And I've read Gardner reports that, that say this. The one, the one argument that I will continue to, to fear is, is the who cares that you have brought up a couple of times. Do consumers just want to pass through that stuff as quickly as they can? And if it's, uh, if it's a subpar experience, as long as it doesn't take too long, who cares? Well, yeah, and what I would hope that regulators all around the world would start to do is if, if you're going to go down the, the route of consent, to really think about what are the things that you want to get a consent for? Because I, I don't know that, you know, so yes, collecting uh, data from every URL visit. We've decided collectively that that's something that requires a consent, whether it's being done by an ISP or done by by a, a piece of trackware. Um, you know, collecting data uh, from persons under 16, you know, that is consent and in, in some instances, you know, parental consent. Um, okay, we've decided that. But there's 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 a limit to the number of things that one can meaningfully consent to both from the perspective of uh, a consumer, but also from the perspective of uh, uh, a regulatory environment that you're trying to create. You know, if every single thing requires a consent, then consumers will spend nothing but, you know, getting or providing consent all day. And that doesn't seem like a really good outcome. Yeah. And right now, uh, you know, personally, I, I don't know that uh, the placement of cookies alone is something that should require a consent. I know that's self-serving given the constituency that I tend to represent. Mm -hmm. But but I do think that there needs to be a little bit more thought around, you know, what are the things that we really think are important that we're trying to guard against? And I don't know that there's been enough consideration there. Yeah, just a, a final point I, I can't resist. The interplay between e-privacy and GDPR, I think we all can agree is pretty messy. Most websites and apps today, well, I guess websites, since we're talking about cookies, still present you with some version of the 
yes, no option to necessary analytics, advertising categories of cookies, which is an industry consensus that's not actually founded on any literal requirement of the law. It, it, it's a solution to what people decided would be the problem. And consenting to a cookie that has a funky name, XYZ324, that's described as an advertising cookie, seems to me an example of what I've described as this dearth of imagination about what could be a better way to present what you're doing to users. Uh, speaking of self-serving, I, I can't avoid the opportunity to say that at Catch, we operate by a purpose-based presentation. So we, the cookies are extremely secondary to what, to what we present in our CMP. We describe and encourage our customers to describe the purpose for which you are taking the data and what you are doing with it in plain language and get consent or not to that. Maybe use some other legal basis as we've described to the extent those are still viable. But we, we're continuing to go round and round on this. I think there is space for innovation here, as I say, that will be comfortably within the bounds of what the laws require. Maybe it's as simple as the data controllers thinking, if I were visiting this site or this app, how would I want the experience to go? And work from that rather than working from oh, I read Article 6 of the GDPR, or I read 1798. whatever it is of CPRA, and the tail, the, the regulatory tail should perhaps not wag the dog here. Thank you all so much for listening to this episode of Legitimate Interests Podcast. If you like what you heard, please subscribe, rate, and tell your friends and colleagues about our show. If you have any questions, please reach out to us via email at podcast at catch.com or Twitter at catch underscore digital. Thanks, and we'll see you next time.